Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Tenants not changing their air filters, costly HVAC repairs and unhappy owners got you down. Filter Easy is a subscription air filter delivery service that solves this problem by shipping filters directly to the tenant's front door when it's time to change. Tenants actually change them, which reduces HVAC-related maintenance calls by an average of 30%. Filter Easy's no-cost-use solution functions as a profit center to give you back time and money. Call 1-800-308-1186 today to learn more. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner. Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638 or visit www.tenantturner.com. And welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Manager Mastermind Show. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, I have Mr. Adam Collins here coming at us from DC capital of our country and he reached out to us and wanted to talk about commercial everything about commercial that we're going to try and touch on he's got some real good expertise and it really applies to us now in a tons of different ways specifically what we're going to talk about is tenancy of commercials you know helping tenants to find commercial properties he's got some investor experience in helping people buy commercials and we're going to touch maybe a little bit on even managing commercial if that's one of the things you want to get into to another silo of revenue so without further ado let me introduce adam how are you today I'm doing great, Brad. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. Um, yeah, like like you said, you know, I'm, I'm a commercial real estate broker here in at um, in Washington D.C. area, and you know, working with buyers uh, or occupiers of commercial real estate, mostly in the office world. Well, that ties in perfectly to what we're looking at. So most of the listeners are going to be the property management companies, uh, either you know they're, they're owning a company, there are tenants in a company, or you know, they're looking to buy commercial space. So for example, RentWorks here in San Antonio and Austin, we're in the exact same boat. So we're in a rental commercial space of roughly 6,000 square foot. You know, I've been talking about it on the episodes, you know, eventually we're going to buy and it could be actually as soon as next year or even later this year uh, because our lease agreement is going to be up in another 15 to 18 months. And so now we're looking at it from a different perspective of actually purchasing it as an investor. So we're tenants and a lot of property management companies are tenants because they lease commercial space. But this could be a really cool episode because the world has changed, right? We're, we're going to this remote work environment. And so what we want to talk about is getting into, you know, the office space itself. I mean, you have seen this, you're dealing with this. People are waking up and realizing, whoa, wait a minute, you know, rent works, you don't need 6,000 square feet of space because you only have X number of employees that need to be in the office. You're doing a lot of remote work. So what are you seeing in the office world right now in your market? 
Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are, are realizing that the remote working in large part has worked. Um, there aren't, I mean, there, I, I've got a couple of clients who are itching to get back to the office and they, they're, they're seeing a drop off in productivity. But in large part, people are like, yeah, we're, we're really productive. We love, the, we love working from home um, partially, right? But there's still a lot of people that want to have some sort of office experience, whether it's as little as one day a week, four days a week, right? Uh, I myself, uh, I, I'll, I'll be back into the office as soon as we open up five days a week, most likely. Um, but, you know, I understand for different reasons, you know, commuting, kids, whatever it might be, family obligations, uh, you just might not, it might make more sense to work from home. Um, so with my clients, uh, and I was just doing this, you know, uh, with a group uh, last week, you know, we were walking their space and trying to figure out, um, you know, how to consolidate some of their space so they can maybe give back a portion of it because they see the office space and their future of their office space is more of uh, more important between culture and collaboration, right? That's why they find the office space to be important. So while they have a, a large staff, it's more about, hey, let's touch down for meetings or let's just get in and, you know, um, you know, just chit chat and collaborate with each other. And then also still developing that same, you know, company culture that they've built over the last few years because, uh, you know, you've got mentorship opportunities that, you know, are easier to do, you know, when you're physically with somebody in the office space and, uh, and it's easier for the, the younger people to kind of learn from and, and, and get to know some of the more experienced people in the office. Yeah, the mentorship thing is is key. The we were talking in the green room before we get on shows, kind of different angles that we want to talk about. And one of the first ones is, you know, us as tenants, right? I mean, where do you see the world going as property management companies and or any company being a tenant? Do you think commercial landlords are going to get some sort of bailout? Are you th- are you thinking uh, they're going to be more negotiable? Are you thinking that everybody should get out of their lease agreements and go work from home? And kind of where's the trend? What are you seeing? Yeah, well. Um... I, I'm, I'm hoping people don't just up and ditch the office because I think that that causes uh, some really serious economic ripples throughout the world, which you know we won't we don't need to necessarily get into right now. But yeah, I think people uh, I think the trend is is kind of or at least the thought is that people are going to want more flexible, shorter term leases um, for a lot of organizations as they you know grow or um, they want to contract. They're still trying to figure out you know how much space do we really need um, you know. This is kind of a test. Might be a testing period for some some organizations out there that aren't currently uh, committed to a long term lease. You know, if they've got the next, that, you know, they got another year or so, kind of in your boat. You've got eighteen months left on your lease. Um, your your next relocation is going to be. You know, it might be a tester. You might you you're, you're spending these next eighteen months trying to figure out exactly what you need from an office space. I think we're all trying to figure that out. Um, in, in figuring out the importance of it, I'll say here in DC, um, you know, obviously it's it's a huge expense for office space. Um, you know, it's usually a company's second highest expense next to payroll. Um, so yeah, people are going to try and figure out ways to um, to reduce that expense if possible. Um, and you know, right now, um, what we're seeing, we're going to start to see is you know a lot of companies actually re-sign their leases early, uh, and the reason they do that is because you know, if you, they're committed to having an office, so it's a law firm, right? Um, you know, if you have, a, if you're a law firm and you're committed to, hey, yeah, we need an office here. We've got 150 employees, and they come into the office all the time. Um, you know, you can take advantage of the fact that you're committed to the office environment uh, and, and and renegotiate with your landlord a little bit early, um, similar to like what's called the blend and extend 
um, which means that, you know, if your rental rate is $50 a square foot and you've got only a year left, you know, the landlord might come in and say, hey, we'll give you a 45 or, four, you know, low 40s rental rate if you extend out for seven years, uh, right? And that's, that's the trade-off is, hey, we'll pay less rent today. Um, and in return, we'll give the landlord something that they want, which is stability and commitment. Um, because as you know, you know, how you value your building has a lot to do with, you know, how much longer your lease term is. A building that, that has a weighted average lease term of, of a year and a half for each tenant is valued a lot differently than that same building that has 10 years left on the lease, right? Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. So a lot of us are in residential real estate, you know, just mm-hmm. by default. We're all mostly real estate brokers and or around real estate, and or we at least manage single family residential type properties. So the appraisal process is way different, mm-hmm. way different in the residential world. And this is something that people need to understand. The way they value commercial properties is off of the lease agreements. It's based on the numbers of that lease agreement, what it brings in. So it's not the value of the property. I mean, it is a little bit, mm-hmm. but you ever pay for an appraisal like we did, we paid for an appraisal on this building. We were considering purchasing it, but it's just not the right layout. And it's really just not a good fit for us, especially now where we can reduce our footprint. But in looking at that, I paid for the appraisal and it came back, you know, based on the numbers of the lease that we signed. Mm-hmm. And that's how they appraise it. And it just, it's just maddening because if we weren't here, they would never be able to get that. If this place was vacant, it would never get that amount. And so we kind of just threw the appraisal out and scrapped the whole idea of buying this building. And so yeah. it's an interesting deal to where people need to understand that where residential properties, they take, you know, comp A, B, C, D, and then they price it per square foot on a sale. And that's how a residential property is appraised. Commercials is based on all about the lease agreement. And if you're an idiot like me and you sign a bad <laughs> lease agreement, then it's going to give you a bad appraisal because the numbers are high. Yeah. Right? So I don't say it was a bad lease. I'm just saying mm-hmm. you look at it, you're like, oh man, okay. You know, you're, yeah. you're, what you're putting out every month for an office, you're only, you know, not using as well. And that's what we're doing. And a lot of your clients are in the same boat is they want to reduce their footprint. And so the blend and extend, that's a really cool term I like. That's really cool how you pulled that out. Blend and extend. So it's a negotiation tactic of being able to go into your landlord and say, look, let's kind of figure this out longer term. We don't need as much space. We're going to reduce, but we're going to also commit to you and assign a longer extended lease. And so it's a very good negotiation tactic. I like it. Are you been seeing that work successfully in your market? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just did one actually um, last or uh, about two weeks ago. It was a, a client of mine that you know uh, had too much space, um, and between they, they had subleased a portion of their space, but that subtenant was moving out. Um, they realized that remote work was working for them. So uh, what we looked to do is we we literally cut their uh, square footage in half by doing that. Obviously cutting their expenses in half, right? And in return to the landlord, we, we tacked on some, some extra term to their lease. So they were in 50% of the space for a long amount of time, but that gives the landlord stability um, for two reasons. A, obviously longer term, but also it was just kind of a, a negotiate, you know, you, you look at it, it's like, all right, well, you're going to require this tenant to pay X amount of dollars a month in rent. Um, and if they can't pay that rent, then nobody's happy, right? Um, but if you pay less rent for a longer period of time, Everybody's happy, um, and and that's kind of you know negotiating. You got to figure out what the landlord's pain points are, what your what your clients' pain points are, and, and try and figure out if you can use something that's not that big of a deal for your client, which is term. You know, adding two years wasn't significant for our client. You know, it was it was a fair trade off. So we gave that two years, and in return, the landlord gave us fifty percent of the space, which is great. So tenant representation. Let's talk through that a little bit. So I want to hear a little bit more about it. 
from two different angles. So imagine you're representing me and we're going to go look for a commercial space to put RentWorks into. So what are, the, some of the, what are some of the things that you look for in tenant representation on a commercial side? Because there's a lot of companies out there that might be in that same boat of, hey, it's now time to grow. Uh, I need to take this from the home office into an actual office because we're at 500 units now. And or we're looking to trade and trade up or, or going from a small commercial space to a big commercial space. So talk me through about tenant representation and how that works in representing a company to look for good quality office space. Yeah. So um, for tenant representation, you know, what, the reason that I fo- or our company, my company is MGA, and we only work with occupiers office space, only work with tenants. And, and there are other brokerage firms that are the large commercial real estate firms that you know that you see on the side of the building and they get, you know, you know 85% of their revenue uh, or thereabouts from working with building owners, you know, doing property management, doing landlord representation, doing sales and, and refinancing, all that stuff. Um, and, and it's not to say that those companies are bad, but we find that we can eliminate any sort of conflict of interest and, and really leverage the tenant um, the most that we possibly can if we don't have any allegiance to one landlord. Uh, and, and that's why we've and, and tenant representation started, uh, you know, actually in, in Texas, you know, 30 years ago, but most firms find that, it, you know, hey, let's, you know, try and get as much money from we, wherever we can. But, but anyway, so a, a, as tenant reps, you know, we work with, you know, a business like yours and we start and we want to first understand how your business operates, what your needs are, how do we make your office space the most efficient office space possible, right? You know, because we can negotiate hard um, against the landlord if you're like, yeah, we're in 6,000 square feet. But if you don't actually need 6,000 square feet and that's not an efficient number for you, then we're still going to be overpaying. So we got to start with the workplace strategy and really understand how your organization operates, how you operate in the office, what's important, what's not important. And then we we find buildings that are going to be um, really efficient for you um, to maximize productivity. Uh, and, and then so we go through that process and and then we uh, then we just start and negotiate with the landlord. We we talk about everything from how much free rent to how much tenant improvement allowances is going to be um, added. You know, another legal or economic concessions that just kind of come up. And everybody's a little bit different in, in what's important to them. Um, but that, that's kind of where we go. And then, of course, the build out, um, and, and we help you through that. Right? If you're working, you know, not every tenant representation firm does this, but but what we do, um, and, and we help you you know, build out your actual space by, you know, if you want project managers, right, to help coordinate the contractors and uh, the vendors that are going to be coming in to bring in cabling and wiring and all that stuff and, and putting up the walls uh, and working with the architects to do that. So let's talk a couple of different things there. Let's talk about concessions. So what are some things that uh, a tenant representative like yourself would go in and ask for in concessions? I know there's, there's some basics, like you mm-hmm. might, obviously it's an easy one, Let's reduce your asking price of cost per square foot. Let's do that. But let's talk through some of the concessions that you're fighting for on behalf of the tenant that you're working with. Yeah. So uh, that's a good point. So DC has historically been a tenant-friendly market um, you know, in the last 10 years or so, especially. And, um, that, and I think that with the coronavirus, that's going to become even more true is the fact that you know, as people question the need or... Um, the size of their office space, um, you know, it's just going to become, you know, as vacancy raises, you know, it's become a more tenant-friendly environment. So, you know, the first thing right off the bat is, is that everybody loves is free rent, right? When you move into a location, uh, a new office space, or you're re-signing your rent, your, your lease, you know, we're going to fight to get some sort of rent abatement. 
Um, now, with the caveat that any sort of abatement that you get up front is then paid on the back. So if you do the five year, it's a five year and five months is your lease term. And the first five months are free, and then you pay for the rest the next five years. Um, and then there's obviously the rental rate, right? You can negotiate harder the rental rate, but honestly, sometimes the rental rate is, is a, a bit of a harder number to really drop drastically. And I, I think that's the mistake that um, I see a lot of either tenants making or maybe newer brokers making um, is to just fight on the rental rate and just, um, it's just a number that's, it's a little bit harder. I mean, you know, when landlords buy a building, they're their pro forma numbers are, yeah, we need to be getting $40 a square foot and that's the number that we need. Um, and so they'll come off of those numbers a little bit. Yeah. But really you should be looking for more avenues such as tenant improvement allowance. Right. And that's, that's, what's really important when we talk about how do we make your space really fit your culture? Um, and how do we you know build out the office space that's going to be efficient for you, look great. And it's going to be really useful when we're talking about re- attracting and retaining talent. Um, you know, it, you know, it used to be an office space was an office space and you might have a window there, but the walls were up and the carpet was green. Um, nowadays, it's really important to have a, an attractive office, especially here in Washington, DC, where um, the job market is so tough. It's tough for companies to find great quality talent because there's so many great companies here. Um, and so people fight over these, these high talented jobs. Um, so to be able to design an office space that really works is um, something that, you know, we ask the landlord to pay for, um, you know, we'll ask them, Hey, give us X amount of dollars to build out the space that we need. Uh, and, and, and that's market-based. I mean, it, in, in Texas, it could be, it, you know, I was talking to a friend there, it's like 40 to $50 a square foot for a build out. But here in DC, we're seeing build out allowances top $120 a square foot. Um, and that's an echo of yeah, maybe a higher cost of living, but also, uh, we have higher rental rates here, so we can, so a landlord can afford to pay a higher amount per square foot uh, in tenant improvement allowance because they're going to make it back faster. As more tenant-friendly legislations are passed, from reduced security deposits to no evictions in the winter months, and everything in between, in the future, the landlord's income will be ultimately affected, and even being driven out of their rental business. Property managers and landlords need to make sure their voices are heard to help reduce the tide of these increasing laws that will ultimately make owning a rental property more difficult and costly. Let your landlords know about Shorevestor's Landlord Protection Insurance to help help them protect their rental income. Call us at 800-975-0562 or visit shorevestor.com to learn more about Shorevestor and how it can help you protect your landlord's income and grow your business. I'm going to ask you a real uh, tactical question now because mm-hmm. when you're going back and forth playing ping pong and negotiations, you're asking for reduced potential rent price per square foot, uh, build out allowance, you know, that, that's going to be an X dollar per square foot. And you agree to price and terms, let's say with a tenant and a landlord or landlord's representative, what's the last minute throw in you always ask for? You know, I'm talking like, okay, we'll agree to everything you want, but we want you to, you know, uh, deliver a limo with flowers and chocolate, <laughs> you know, what's the last minute throw in that you always get? Uh, you know, I think that varies. Um, I'm working on something now where, uh, I think the last minute throw on, you know, it could be updating the elevator lobbies, right? So uh, on, on their floor, they have, you know, kind of outdated elevator lobbies, but some of the floors in the building have nicer ones. So that might be something, you know, 
I don't know that it would be necessarily last minute, but it would probably be something that, you know, we'll go back and forth on for a while and say, you know, we'll see how the deal economics shake up, but you know, and it could be, I've done exclusivity rights, right? So if you're working with um, a dentist or somebody that just doesn't want anybody else, like, uh, yeah, a perfect example is a dentist that I did, uh, a dental deal that I did. Um, you know, she wanted to be the only dentist in the building. And, and exclusivity rights are very difficult um, to get if you were a smaller tenant. But as you become a larger tenant, maybe you can get it. And it's more common in retail. It's more important in retail, probably. You know, if you're a coffee shop, um, you know, you, may, you want to be the only coffee shop in that shopping center, right? Um, Starbucks does them all the time. You know, they're, you don't see a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts right next to each other very often because, or Starbucks and, and, and another one of their competitors right next to each other because, um, you know, just draw away from their business, right? So, okay. so those, those are kind of the things. It's not usually, it's not always economic. It's sometimes more, um, you know, um, just a, a, like a, maybe a legal concession, you know, relocation rights. There's different little things, but I like to get the economics up front because, um, you know, I, just my negotiating style is this is what we need and like, let's, let's get there. And if we can't get there, um, you know, we'll find another building um, because that's the beautiful thing about working with a tenant rep is I don't have an allegiance with uh, that building owner. I don't necessarily care if, if they're, you know, upset with me for taking my client to an, another building. Um, but, but the economics are, are, are very important. And then we, we each, each client of mine has a different kind of intangible need that they, that they want. And, and we'll, we'll try to get those. Economic question, who pays for your services? That's the landlord. So the landlord pays both fees. So the landlord has their broker, they have a landlord representative, and then the tenant has a tenant broker. So the landlord generally pays a commission that is split between the landlord rep and the tenant rep. And then you have typically, typically have a rate that you work with, or mm-hmm. does it vary? Do you uh, sign an exclusive agreement with the, obviously the tenant that you're yeah. working with? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'll sign exclusive agreements with all the tenants that we work with. Um, the rates vary from across the country, but in, in DC, um, it's generally 6% fee to the brokers in general. And then the, the landlord rep takes about 2% usually, and the tenant rep takes 4%. Okay. So quick question. This is exactly kind of how real estate works in general. Uh, let's say there's a 6% commission and you work for 4%. You know, that's in your contract. If the landlord only pays 3% of that, are you going back to the tenant and getting the extra one percent? No, I would no. I, I don't. I would not do that um, because you know, kind of, we start our relationship off by saying you don't pay for our services; they'll be included into the rents. If the if a landlord decides that they they want to um, skimp on the commission, um, then that's it's up to each broker to kind of you know, hey, do we, you want to? you know, fight this or how do you, how do you want to handle it? And it kind of depends on who the landlord is, what the situation is. If it's a renewal, for instance, like if, if I'm working with a tenant and we're renewing their lease or renegotiating their lease, then I would expect to get a little bit less than uh, the 4%, might get 3%. Um, but if it's a relocation, it's, it's usually uh, 4%. You know, sometimes smaller landlords will try and work something out differently. Um, but again, that's, I, I think that's a broker by broker uh, kind of decision of how they want to handle that. Do you have folks kind of the, the, the business card pitch thing? I will pay for myself. I mean, essentially what you're doing for is you're negotiating monies down to where you're saving them so much money that it pays for your services. So, you know, some people might have heartburns like, oh, Adam, I don't want to pay you know, anybody to represent. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm already a broker. Yeah. But I think that's a mistake. I think, you know, when, when we were looking at commercial properties, uh, you know, 
we probably should have done a better job in having a tenant representative. So that could be on me. So going forward, if we ever lease space again, I would engage an Adam mm. and say, look, man, help me with getting us an office space because I know whatever they pay you, whatever is costing is going to be wrapped up into the whole deal. However, comma, you're going to save us enough money to well over justify your fees. I mean, is that kind of the pitch you give? Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, and th- there's that, but then also there's the time as- aspect of it. I mean, for me to complete a transaction, it takes about, uh, in general, about six months of my time, if not longer, um, 50 to hundred hours of, of research and negotiation and communication with all the buildings, uh, analysis, um, and it's not just me; it's my team. It's I've, I've got uh, we've got a CFO who does the advanced financial analysis for our clients, uh, and we've got project managers and workplace strategy folks who help design and work with the architects. So I mean, it's not even just me. So it's if you're talking to a CEO, um, you could say, "All right, you've done, you know, probably your last three. I mean, the common objection is I did my last three lease deals. I negotiated them myself, and, and you know that's fine. I understand that." Um, but then there's there's my experience where you know I'll do three lease transactions a month, right? So you know being out in the market and understanding um, not only just the submarket but also the building ownership type, right? Is it owned by a real estate investment trust? Is it owned by a pension fund? Is it owned by a mom and pop landlord? Um, you know are these are these investors are they flippers? Are they long term holders? Or do they own it? All cash? Do they have debt? Who's their debt? Who's who, who's financing the building? Who's their equity partner? Right. So knowing all of that about your landlord allows you to negotiate a little bit harder, right? And for a typical um, tenant to to have access to all that information, to know that information, to really even know what that information means, um, is pretty rare. And if they were if they knew all of that, then they should be a commercial real estate broker. I think it'd be pretty good. Give us some pitfalls. So let's say you're representing RentWorks. We want to go look for a commercial property. You see an initial offer or, or contract or letter of intent from a landlord. What are the pitfalls that you want to make sure we never walk into? My biggest thing is in the, the first thing I want to do is to really understand what the build out is going to be. What, what the, what, you know, how much money is going to cost to make this office space, the office space that you want uh, and understanding, can we fit you know, say you need six offices and, and 10 workstations and a reception area, a kitchen. Can we fit all that in there? Um, that's, that's A, that's the first part. And then how much does it cost to fit all of that in there? And, and then who's going to pay for it? Um, that's the very first thing that I like to get started on. You know, we'll negotiate, you know, in terms of free rent and, and all the other fun stuff. Um, but if we get to the end of the negotiations and we're off, Right by by the build out allowance, we don't have enough money. The landlord's not paying us or pay, paying for the build out uh, as much as we want. You know that's 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 just a deal killer. I mean, that's something that's going to be uh, insurmountable. I think, especially because we'd be able to go to another landlord and probably get a full build out allowance, unless it was something that was incredibly expensive. Um, again, like a like a medical build out, but. Um, so that's my first uh, is I just want to understand um, the build out. And then, you know, there's things that people don't consider like security deposits and personal guarantees. Uh, I like to get all this stuff out in the open as quick as possible because I find that uh, sometimes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, landlord brokers will kind of bring these things up like a, a personal guarantee kind of at the last minute after we've already got the deal negotiated. 
So I like to get either a security deposit or personal guarantee question out of the way as, as soon as possible. Um, just because, you, you, you know, if, if somebody's not willing to sign a personal guarantee on the lease, which I encourage most people in most situations to not do, uh, if you can avoid it, um, then, you are, um, then you're just kind of spinning your wheels. That's good stuff to know because the way we want to tackle this now going forward in this episode is we want to talk a little bit about kind of the future of leasing. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about purchasing because you've got some experience there in helping companies like us purchase some. I know it's not your main forte, but you've done some in person, quite a few, I would imagine, and you've seen a, a lot done. So you have the ins and outs of that. So we're going to talk through that. But I want to know kind of where you think the future of leasing. So if RentWorks wants to go lease another building, uh, you know, half the size we're in, where do you think the future is in the leasing world? Uh, well, I think that right now people are still trying to figure out the future of leasing, but I think long-term, um, we're going to start to see even in maybe smaller markets, What's popular here in the DC area is what we call spec suites, which is speculatively built office spaces. Um, and it's great for um, you know, users like you who have like 6,000 square feet or less. And we might even see them start to make spec suites um, for bigger users. And the reason that they're great is because um, the landlord puts the money up front before even having a tenant necessarily. Um, and then say that you want to go in and like, all right, hey, Brad, here's an office. You know, it works perfectly for you. It's already built out to really high quality finishes and you can take it for a shorter term. Usually landlords, you know, five years is usually where they want a commercial office lease to be um, in between five to 10 years. Sometimes you can get three, but with spec suites, you can get three, three year leases very easily because the money has already been spent and they just want to get some cash flow. So to see more flexible spaces like that, and we've seen other companies, um, you know, here in the DC area, that they're they're landlords, but they're getting into co-working spaces, right? So they're instead of having WeWork as a tenant in their building, they're now starting to create their own floors where they have kind of junior suites or shared suites, or um, you know, sometimes they're not even shared, but they'll have like a common amenity center in the middle of the floor, and then each company can have their own office space, which is really great for. When we talk about collaboration, where if your office is used for more of a collaborating effort, um, to be able to just you know plug in, come in, you know, on a days that you have meetings or you're in between, you know, you're you're going to a house um, in one part of town, you're you need to stop off at the office and print something out. You know, that's where we see um, these kind of um, shared communal areas, um, communal like uh, um, co-working spaces, become effective. Uh, you're talking like maybe a Regis. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's like a Regis, but it's it's operated by the owner of the building, actually. Okay, um, that's and, so that's I can see that where it makes a lot of sense because personally, I'd love to have a collaborative space such as, uh, you know, giant break room, you know, where mm-hmm. there's all the big fridges and the microwaves that my staff, you know, can use and, you know, bigger, nicer bathrooms, you know, of course, the cool stuff. And then maybe even like a coffee shop or a little, you know, something little eatery. You know, those, those amenities would be really cool to have in an office space. When you own your own building, you may not be able to do that. So let's say yeah. goes and buys a couple thousand square foot building, but it might be a standalone building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the chances of that being any sort of syndication inside of a, a bigger building are pretty slim in this market. Are you seeing any of that? So if we talk the purchasing side, we kind of switch that up. The spec suites going into the purchasing side, are you seeing any sort of syndications where there's 10,000 square feet and they sublease it to a thousand square feet and a collaboration method, but they sell a thousand square feet. 
Is that even a thing? Um, well, so, no, I'll, no I, I mean, I don't think that I would um, say that like I've seen condo, that. Like a condo type thing. You know? Yeah, well, there, are, there are some, co- some condo buildings uh, here in the D.C. area. I don't know that that scenario, that I don't think that I've seen that scenario uh, exactly. Um, but that's just the way that most buildings here are structured. Most of them are, is one ownership that leases to different, um, different tenants on different yeah, that, floors. That just kind of showed my ignorance of the, of the <laughs> commercial side. Honestly, I'm just asking questions out of blue, like <laughs> the management company would, because you know, our focus is something different, but I really think this is fascinating to talk to you because I've got a lot of questions. Yeah. So let's talk about the purchasing side a little mm-hmm. bit. So a lot of us may be in that boat to where we're watching the market thinking, oh, okay, here's the COVID thing, the crisis, it's all still going on. We all are thinking commercial is going to take a, a dive. Okay. And that, that might be your perspective as well in your market where you're seeing the commercial property just like tank because people are working from home. Buildings are not being renewed. They're not being filled. New buildings, new startups, are, you know, they're, they're clogging and, and waiting down the, the inventory in the market. And so now you have an opportunity to where if you're on the outside looking in like we are, you know, we're looking at it like, okay, now is the time to purchase. Uh, so get into the purchase side. You know, do we want to go SBA financing? Do we want to go get bank financing? Have you seen any bit of, of all that? We need to talk about the future of where you think the purchasing side is, uh, if you have some perspective. And then also, you know, the best method of purchasing that, even if it's owner financing. Kind of what are your thoughts on the whole process? Yeah, um, I think, well, first, I think, Owner financing is really attractive right now, um, especially because you know banks. Although the rates are great and they're low, um, in my experience in, over the last few months, is it's been a little bit more. They've just been more. They've been scrutinizing the loans a little bit harder, especially if you're buying an investment property. They're looking at the tenants. They want to see all the tenants' financials. I, I, I just um, we just did a transaction. Um, we closed last week and it took us two months longer than expected. A lot of it having to do with the bank getting a lot more stringent. I mean, in this, but you know, if you can get an SBA loan, we talk about SBA 504 loans, you know, the SBA has got a program right now as part of the, their COVID assistance that they're paying the first six months of your, uh, your mortgage payments. So if you were looking to buy something, you know, in the next year and a half, and I would encourage you to maybe look at it, you know, if you buy it by, I think it's September 27th, I think it is, um, you know, you can, um, you know, they'll pay your first six months. So they've, and they've got some, some loans, uh, some attractive, really attractive loan programs for small businesses that are looking to purchase real estate. I encourage people to go talk to their, uh, their banker and, and double check what I'm saying. But, uh, but certainly I think that it's a good opportunity to use SBA. Um, you know, price wise, I think that I have, uh, I've got a lot of clients who think, you know, what's going on is going to cause a huge downturn in the, um, the pricing of commercial properties. Um, that's just not my opinion. It's all, it's also not what's happening so far. We've seen about a 6% nationally price adjustment, right? So, um, between where buildings were trading, you know, in January of this year versus now, it's only about a 6% reduction. Um, and I just don't think that it's this, I don't think that this is the same sort of economic crisis that 2008 was in 2008. Um, there was a fundamental problem with the way that, um, you know, mortgages were structured, um, especially on the residential side, um, which caused obviously a huge ripple effect in, in terms of businesses going under and, and banks going under, insurance companies, all that stuff. Um, but here we're in an environment where real estate key performance indices, uh, KPIs are 
still pretty strong, right? Um, you know, the, the, the indicators were that, you know, so if you have an office building and it's 85% leased um, and the weighted average lease term is, is 8.3 years left, uh, you know, no matter what people think about their office space, you can assume or you should look at those tenants, but most of them are going to be continuing to pay their rent. Now, as leases start to roll, will it be harder to fill that space or fill as much of that space? Possibly. And then that's something that you should consider. Um, but the building still remains a solid investment opportunity for if you're looking at it for the next 8.3 years, um, you're going to be getting this much money um, over time. It still makes sense to, to purchase it. Uh, so, and, and, and for DC specifically, you know, our property values are so strong just in the fact that we're an insulated economy here in Washington, D.C. and in, in the surrounding areas. So, um, you know, the land value itself has a lot of value. There's not a lot of land itself. So that, that keeps prices fairly steady. Um, and also the businesses in the D.C. area might not be as impacted, especially because we have a lot of government contractors who contract with the federal government. Uh, you know, obviously the federal government is a huge tenant here in the DC area. So the, you know, office for them stays fairly strong. Um, and, you know, government contractors, they're fairly strong too. And there's still a lot of really strong organizations here that, that aren't going to go under or any or anything. They're still going to be paying their rents and, and most landlords have still been collecting their, the same amount of rent that they were collecting previously. So let's talk to how, because we, you know, we talked about this in theory, but let's say, okay, it's time for rent workers to go purchase the building. And I think a lot of property management companies are looking at the same thing out there, especially that listen to this podcast and follow these Facebook groups and all these other groups is are all looking to, okay, the, the major leagues, as we call it, is to own your own building. You own your own management company, which you can start from scratch in your garage and you can have a PO box, but then mm-hmm. you can build that over time to make it an actual real entity, just like any other business out there to where you have staffing, you have salaries, you have all these professional things you're working on. And you can build it to where it's a company that runs itself. Now, getting back to that is let's talk about the how. So, you know, obviously we want to go talk to our, our banking relationship. And it's amazing to see, you know, there's an old saying, you know, especially through this COVID crisis with the PPP loan, your three most important contacts in business are your attorney, your CPA, and your banker. Well, a lot of folks were ignoring the last one, which was their banker, because uh, some companies out there and not just management, but in the entire world of business is they were just using the chases. They were using the online methods for Bank of America. And when it came time to go get that PPP loan or any other type of bank assistance, they're just you know one in a billion people that are asking for the exact same thing. So they had no relationship. Mm-hmm. And so relationship is important in building uh, those three important things, your attorney, your CPA, and your banker. So this goes straight to that. Go to the banker, build a relationship with them. Say, look, I want to get into a commercial building you know, let's talk about financial numbers as far as what you feel uh, I could or should afford. And then would you engage with a, a broker, like a commercial broker and do a, an exclusive agreement and say, look, I need you to help me go buy a building. You know, do we go out and do it ourselves? Do we just start going on to, you know, Zillow.com or wherever the, mm. you know, websites are. Kind of give us your, your two cents on advice there. Yeah, I, w- I would say first you hit the nail on the head for the bankers. I encourage a lot of my clients to, you know, work with, you know, a community bank or Smaller bank. I personally, I text my banker when I have a question or a comment, or I need help with my account. And through the PPP process, I mean, 
I know a lot of people that, that work with him, you know, and I obviously refer to him, um, uh, you know, quite frequently. And it was incredible how responsive compared to other people who went with the bigger banks and how responsive he was particularly. Um, and it, I mean, it, where everybody else was questioning whether, where their money was, where their money was for PPP, you know, he was responsive and, you know, so definitely build a solid relationship with, with a good banker. I'm not saying that the big banks don't have those good relationship bankers, but um, I found that, you know, when you're working with a community bank, um, you know, it, it might be a little bit easier. Uh, and so your question about the how, uh, yeah, I think that the first step is probably to simultaneously, right. Um, talk with a banker and a commercial real estate broker to understand pricing, to understand, is it viable um, for you to purchase a property? Um, you know, the, the, the broker can show you, you know, um, what you can get, you know, what kind of property you can get for the amount of money you want to spend. Uh, and I think a lot of times, at least for my clients here in the DC area, um, the if you're looking at purchasing your office space, the, the biggest hurdle we have is the quality, right? So it's it's an expensive area. So you can't necessarily go buy a class A office quality um, office condo uh, in the same that you can go lease one for you know basically the same amount of money per month. So, um, so yeah, so I would, I would say first you talk to the banker and understand financing terms. Um, if you want to go the SBA route, understand what you have to do to qualify for the SBA, what your business has to look like, what the occupancy of the building, you know, you have to occupy 51% of the building. Um, and, you know, you can't just go and buy a pure investment property in an SBA loan, but you can put down 10%, um, and, which makes it a super attractive uh, loan product, but, you know, it's not right for everybody. Um, and, and then, yeah, talk with a, a broker and, interview a couple of different brokers and understand what their history is. I, I mean, you know, for instance, if I am an office tenant, um, I'm not going to go to the biggest retail uh, tenant broker. I mean, it's just, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. You know, that's not his core competency. He could be a great broker, but it's not his core competency. Um, and so, so interview a couple of different brokers, figure out which ones you, you might want to work with. And then absolutely, I, I, I encourage people to sign an exclusive representation agreement because to get the best out of a broker, I find that you have to also value their time. You have to understand that, hey, look, brokers, we, literally, we only get paid if a transaction occurs. So if somebody's not very serious or not well qualified or won't even sign an exclusive agreement with me, they're probably not going to get... Um, a whole lot of my attention until you know we can you know answer some of those qualifying questions. Um, so so yeah, I would uh, definitely say you know engage a broker who's you know who's focused on what you the type of product that that you want to buy, um, whether it be office or an industrial product or um, um, you know in in, in the right location um, and and be serious with them and and, and say yeah we want to work with you we respect your time we understand that. That you're going to spend, you know, 30, 50, 60, 80 hours on this project and you'll only get paid if the deal actually closes. Great advice, Adam. Really appreciate your time here. Been fantastic. So how does somebody get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions or heck, they want to throw you a lead because they know somebody in DC that needs some office space? How do we reach you? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place. Uh, Adam Collins on LinkedIn. Um, I can give you my email address. It's, it's acollins at mgaco.com, uh, as in Michael Goldman Associates, 
co.com um and I'll, I'll give you that in my phone number and you can drop in the show notes or something but but linkedin is is a great place to add me um adam collins uh and i appreciate you having me yeah thanks so much man i really learned a lot i think a lot of the listeners got something out of this because we're talking about stuff we don't necessarily talk about on a daily basis in this realm but we need to understand it if nothing else and be able to apply it to our own businesses fantastic stuff adam really appreciate you coming on Thanks, Brad. Choose Seacoast Commerce Bank as your property management bank of choice. Seacoast Commerce Bank specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management-related invoices. Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. And be sure to listen to the Property Management Mastermind Podcast, episode number 26, about Seacoast Commerce Bank. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.